Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry, your other host of the EAA Aviation Museum. And uh, we are still just, we're just finishing up that uh, that docking, the, uh, the, the probe and drogue. Uh, docking up there uh, in, in cislunar space between uh, the command module and the uh, lunar module. Great, uh, great imagery here. One of my over overly intense interests in uh, in the space program is uh, is docking systems, and uh, this Apollo Apollo probe and drogue system uh, has always fascinated me. It's very mechanical. It's a it's a it's quite a mechanical system. There's there's a bunch of places you can see either uh, uh, scale models or full size models. Of uh, of the system as they worked it out as to how to how to, how to hinge together and uh, and grab things and I I do like the way you can see a lot of what's happening right in the movie you know that you see this the probe would uh, would go in there's these uh, side levers that come out and as the as the probe the front part of the probe is compressed those side uh, levers uh, expand as as the whole system collapses those levers kind of jam into, into the sides of the the drogue that hollowed out cone area and it locks in there's a bunch of interlocks and then around the outside ring there's a series of latches that close and pull uh tight they do this uh hard docking that makes a, a pressure tight seal and uh, it's a beautiful it, it's almost like a a mechanical watch kind of a thing it, it has a beautiful set of gears to it that uh that interlock when you when you when you see it up close. So if, if you do get a chance, if you're at a museum, uh, I know that the National Air and Space Museum has it. Uh, at the Kennedy Space Center, they have a really nice model in their uh, the Heroes section of their uh, of their museum. And uh, there's a great one up at the, uh, the Stafford Air and Space Museum in, uh, I think it's Weatherford, Oklahoma, uh, because, of course, Tom Stafford was on the Apollo Soyuz mission where this was a, an important feature. It's pretty neat. And I think it's it, somehow some, some parts of it were based on the uh, the probe and drogue that's used for refueling operations on uh, on aircraft. I don't you, you, you probably know more about uh, refueling in flight than I do, Chris. I, it probably uh, that probably makes sense that they would just copy something that worked that was currently ongoing. You know, meta refueling in the 50s and 60s was still somewhat of a new concept. But I could see if they had that system working that they would just adapt it to this. I, I, I'd bet you any money there would be definitely some carryover. Not obviously, not all, but um, it would be interesting to see how much. Yeah, I would think that there's there's probably, I mean, especially in terms of like what kind of metal you need to use. I mean, they don't want to have anything that sparks. It's it's right. A lot of it's made out of titanium. It's very, very sturdy and doesn't shrink or, uh, you know, expand. So, um Anyway, once once they do that that uh, that docking like that, the crew would after they finish that, they would take that whole probe assembly, that pointy thing on the side with the with the levers, and it would fold up flat, and they'd put it in a uh, like a little bag that was along the side of the the command module inside inside the tunnel, and that would go out of the way, and then they'd have this nice uh, open area that they could get back and forth between the command module and the lunar module. It, it's it's amazing when you think about it, how what a critical piece of equipment that that little two-foot thing is because 
if if that didn't work, they weren't <laughs> they weren't going to be able to go to the moon. Now, I always wondered. So that that probe and drogue that captured it, but then was there there had to have been locks on the tunnel as well, right? I would right. Guess. Yeah. There, there's a dock in the inside the command module. There was a docking ring. There's a series of latch assemblies. I think there were like at least twelve. I think there were twelve latch assemblies, and it was it was in, around the entire circumference of that latch. So oh, that okay. that probe assembly would grab the drogue, and that was kind of like the initial contact. And then once once it pulled it in close, it would get it into a position where it could latch onto uh, everything inside the the front of the the lem lem tunnel where the where the mounts were okay that makes sense i always wondered about that yeah and then there were on i think on both sides of them they had the uh, pressure equalizers where you could dump dump air to make sure that the the space in between was had the same pressure inside the command module that you did on the lunar module so that would that that repress valve that we will come up later in the in in the movie is (laughs) is part of all that it's just a neat thing and there's i'm sure if you go if you go on the internet, there's way too much information about how how all those indications are, how all those things are made. I think that's kind of the thing that's fascinating about this is, you know, as we are digging into this, as we've been into the to the Apollo 13 minute, I've been doing a lot of research, just reading up on stuff that we're going over or going to go over, and it's amazing to me how much is out there. I mean, it's almost like you, if as much as you want to learn, it's it's documented and. You could find the actual manuals and everything else online places. Yeah, you, uh, it's you, pretty fascinating. It, it's it's astonishing. I mean, like, and I think that as it, it's it's kind of a group effort. There's there's stuff that was missing, and people, you know, retired uh, NASA engineers and things. W- people would say, "Oh, I have that," and then they turn it into a PDF and then hook it up on something like the Apollo Lunar Sur- Lunar Surface Journal. And there's just so much. And people do transcriptions of the uh, of, of the entire mission. They listen to all the audio, and you can sit and read a transcript of every word said on the uh, during the mission. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I found one from Apollo 13 where Jim Lovell's having a hot dog, <laughs> and he radios down the mission control to let him know that uh, I believe he has put ketchup on the hot dog, and that, that was uh, the guys in mission control felt that that was a a pretty big faux pas, but they let it pass uh, this time, <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was hysterical. I had never, yeah, it's, uh, uh, never uh, seen that anywhere, especially since he's from Chicago, right? I mean, that's right, yeah, kind of a big, <laughs> big. Uh, one of the things that we see when we uh, after after the docking goes okay, and every, everybody's all smiles and mission control, we see the uh, Jack Swigert moves the lunar module out of its little garage there and on the S four B, and uh, and pulls away. Now, there's a first that happens in. Apollo 13 that uh, had not happened on earlier missions is that the uh, the S4B had been precision guided uh, slightly shortly after this this maneuver and it was precision guided toward the moon after Apollo 11 and 12 had been on the moon they both put down uh, seismic sensors that were reporting back on any seismic movements on the moon and Apollo 13's S4B was going to become an experiment for both Apollo 11 and Apollo 12's uh, seismic sensors. Basically, we're going to crash the Apollo 13's S4B into the moon and uh, and see what would happen. You know, what kind of um, when I one of my previous lives, uh, I worked for Texas Instruments uh, geoseismic unit where they did uh, uh, they they did searches for petroleum. And one of the things that they do is use seismic trucks where basically. They either vibrate uh, the surface with a large truck or they'll uh, explode small charges in the ground and listen for the echo, kind of like a giant sonar, to find out what's deep down in the, in the earth. 
And in this case, they were going to do it with an S4B and the moon. <laughs> what they found out is I think that the S4B crashed about four days later into the moon. And the, the message that came back from the moon as the, the seismic aftershocks after the S4B hit uh, was that basically the, the scientists described it as the moon ringing like a bell. It just wow. it, it vibrated for hours that they could they could follow these ripples going through the moon. And what it showed was that there really was little to no uh, volcanic activity on the moon. Now it, was, it, it meant that the, the core of the moon was cold. It wasn't like, like the Earth. It didn't have a, a molten center. It didn't even have a warm center. It just, it was a, a solid dead mass. You know, if, if you think about this as a kind of a failed lunar mission, but, you know, of all the things that Apollo 13 did for lunar science, one of the greatest things that it did was uh, settle the idea of what was on the interior of the moon with one, with one part of its uh, equipment. That's pretty wild. I never knew that. It's a, a neat little uh, bit that kind of gets jumped jumped over when there's. I mean, there's there's a different focus on this on this movie, but it's interesting to know that there was there were some positive benefits coming out of uh, scientific experiments on on 13. Wow. One of the things that does not uh, <laughs> is not part of the science of, of Apollo 13. Actually, it wasn't even true. Is uh, Fred Hayes's uh, response here when he was asked about uh, if, if he was ready to eat, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the line that he had about. Uh, uh, the dead rhinoceros. Uh, it wasn't wasn't from Fred Hayes's mouth, but it was actually from uh, the mind of uh, the visiting Gary Busey, who was on set that day watching them film the movie. He had previously said that exact line from Point Break, so uh, it's just a kind of a carryover. And that was uh, <laughs> just <laughs> if, if Gary Busey were an astronaut, that's what he'd be saying. <laughs> Waiting for him to ask ask Utah for two, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell him bula bula. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And we and we see something that it kind of got overlooked. I mean, you you don't really get the the impression. I mean, you think that uh, Gene Kranz spent all of every day, every moment in front of his uh, in front of his console, but they're showing something that is kind of overlooked when you're doing it. The beginning of a shift change, and uh, as we were talking uh, previously, they uh, they had several shift changes, and what uh, what would happen at each of the at each of the stations, Fido, Guido, Control, all, all the other ones. They would sit down with the previous shift's console manager and go over what was happening from, uh, you know, what had happened on that shift and what was what was coming up next. So everybody there had their own little personal debriefing or rebriefing uh, as to what to expect on their shift. And you do that as well in air traffic, right? I mean, that's oh, absolutely. I mean, it looks almost identical to that. You know, same we would do that with uh, uh, the air ambulance, too. I mean, you come on, uh, there's a shift change. Usually, you know, you'd come in, it's a little bit interesting in, in ATC, and I'm not sure if they did it this way uh, with, um, you know, with, in mission control, but, you know, let's say your shift starts at 8. I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, usually you'd come in a half hour early, kind of get the flow of what's going on with the day. And, you know, the last few minutes, you're pretty much just sitting with the, the, the current controller, outgoing controller, and you're the oncoming controller. Just kind of looking at what airplanes are where, what's going on, weather, runways you're using, types of approaches, things like that, and then you switch out and make it as seamless as possible. Now, in mission control, I believe they actually had it scheduled where they had overlap, where I'm pretty sure I got this right, where basically the way your schedule worked is it was something like an hour, it's like an hour, hour and a half that you both were on duty together. 
and then the outgoing controller would get to go. But there was like an hour and a half or so of they would be working together. It was something like that. So it wasn't just a kind of a, yep, they're up there, here's the systems, out we go. It was kind of like you both worked together for a little while, and then one would go out. So a little bit of what they call a warm handoff. Yeah, and I would imagine that that would be pretty good for you're looking at it with a fresh set of eyes too. So if you know, as as you get toward the end of the shift, you're getting kind of worn out, and you're thinking of, well, I'm I'm about to wrap it up here, and you're, not that your mind wouldn't be elsewhere, but I, I think that you're figuring out how to do a handoff. But with the with the person coming on, they're kind of prepping themselves, so they're. They, they might they might notice stuff that you have been uh, you you may not not ignoring but it might not have been in your in your line of sight when you were you know looking at all the same things happening somebody else comes in and says hey what about this and how you know how come this is happening so it's a it's probably a great time for finding out things that you know the other the other shift may not have noticed yeah you know, and obviously if honestly if there's something bad gonna happen the best thing that can happen is when you have all the minds in a room when it's a shift change. Yeah, because uh, you have so many, you have you know so many team members together. It is a nice thing. The other thing that they they don't flinch on in this is the uh, the amount of tobacco products that are yeah. used in. I mean, you you really it it, it it they've underlined it several times in in this movie, but it really was amazing how much uh, ash was right on top of these you know electronic consoles that um, <laughs> I can remember. I can remember back in the eighties. Um, working in places where, you know, they had air handlers and you couldn't smoke anywhere near the building uh, where, where they were working on computers. Um, but it was just these guys lived on nicotine. And so they <laughs> made sure. Yeah, coffee and nicotine. So I'm sure these things were spill proof. I mean, <laughs> I, I think of that movie Fate is the Hunter. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> you're trying, trying to keep the coffee in the in the the tobacco ash from getting into the <laughs> into the hardware must have been quite a, a deal well I, I like i said my favorite uh, one of my well one i have i have many favorite stories from from gene kranz but we were talking the one day and he was telling me about the mission control restoration they're doing in houston and that you know this generation our, our current generations and young you know younger kids cigarettes aren't such a staple and and everything and they're in mission control and there were ashtrays and built into the chairs and the kids thought that those were to hold your cell phones <laughs> and uh you know he had to explain no there was a lot of cigarette smoking that went on in yeah. these rooms so yeah i just i'm just imagining the air handlers in there that uh, <laughs> <laughs> must have been significant but uh yeah it's it's still it's interesting to see to see this here i know that in um the uh, the Mercury movie with Kevin Costner. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures, yeah, Hidden yeah. Figures. It, it was downplayed that there were there were people yes. smoking it, but yeah. it was. I mean, there was a blue cloud <laughs> mostly. You know, any any given day, this was a blue cloud of a <laughs> of a room. Uh, but yeah. looked like they, Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you know, thank heavens those those days are gone. Yeah. I keep thinking after a while, maybe. It, it might be hard eventually to get actors that are, you know, heavy smokers to do this kind of stuff, or maybe they'll just switch to like vaping or something. I actually wonder about that, and I, I, I was reading. I, I don't know if the cigarettes are real. I wasn't there some sort of like movie type of cigarette that it's not a yeah, real they, cigarette. There's, uh, there's herbal cigarettes. I've, I've, I've seen herbal cigarettes that are almost like an incense, and you don't have to, you don't have to really inhale them. They just kind of like smoke on both sides, and they, 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 they leave a cloud of smoke. Uh, for for people to you know to to give you the the mood of it, but it's not as uh, yeah not yeah. as nauseating yeah. 
Otherwise, they smoked a lot of cigarettes in the filming of this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. A great, a great scene. I mean, this is operationally, uh, this is one of the better minutes of seeing how you know who's in charge of what and how how things are done. I really like watching the interplay between Mission Control now, you know, receding in the distance, and uh, the 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 guys up at the at the the pointy end of the of the mission, uh, uh, running things. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a nice nice minute of teamwork. Not really a lot of drama in the, in this particular minute, but we're going to get into to more things uh, as as the uh, the next couple of minutes progress, especially in the the next couple of minutes. But it's a uh, it's a nice. Uh, this is kind of pulling back the uh, pulling back the bow before letting the arrow go. <laughs> So uh, we'll, we'll we'll pick some more of that up uh, on on our next episode. Uh, for folks who haven't heard uh, previous episodes, and we've got some great ones back there, uh, go to our big website Apollo Thirteen Minute dot com, Apollo One Three Minute dot com. You can go out there and pick up uh, previous episodes and read uh, transcripts of what was going on in each minute. You can uh, find us on social media, of course, out there at Twitter Apollo Thirteen Minute. Find us on Facebook at Apollo Thirteen Minutes Mission Control. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to us on either uh, iTunes or uh, Google Play. Get us delivered hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday, and, uh, and listen to fresh episodes. Uh, but we'll have more coming up uh, as uh, the next couple of minutes progress. It's going to get uh, a little bit dicey. Lost a signal in about 30 seconds, so we will see you here next time on the Apollo 13 Minute.